I'm blown away at how you're still shocked that these things are happening instead of trying to see or accept the stories that you can't, you're trying to ignore. Like that's what blows my mind. I don't understand how you're still shocked. Like some of my teachers who I know are genuinely trying and seek that knowledge, they're still like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. And I'm like, how are you shocked by this? Hey everyone, want to welcome you to this new episode of the Lenses Podcast. I'm your host, Casey Travis, and I've got another really fantastic conversation for you guys today. Uh, before we dive into that, I just want to say real quick again that if, uh, if you're getting a lot out of these conversations, as I really hope that you are and enjoying them, then uh, go ahead and just subscribe to the podcast. Um, that will, uh, that will lock you in so that when I drop a new episodes, which I try to do about every other week, um, that you'll be able to, uh, just have that drop right into your favorite podcasting platform. Um, on today's episode, uh, I have the opportunity to speak with Pam Johnson. Um, Pam is an African-American woman. Those are the, the prominent lenses that, that she identifies in this conversation, um, who is working in inner city Seattle. Um, with a last chance alternative high school. Um, the work that she is actively engaged is profoundly important. Um, and, uh, and it is also uh, some of the stories that she has just, uh, just pull at your heart also. She has a unique understanding, um, not only as an African-American woman herself, but being involved in uh, in a the school system with at risk African American uh, teens, and uh, just a, a perspective that is um, I think just very again very important for us to understand. Um, the thing that uh, that she has identified that she is most passionate about is equality and awareness of inequality in our in our school systems. Um, and she has a, a few examples of, of that as we as we approach this conversation as well. Pam also happens to be Ursula Lovely's sister. And so if you uh, listened to the last episode, then you heard Ursula speak. And so uh, Ursula is in Portland. Pam was in Seattle. And uh, in the, uh, of course, they share a lot of life and perspective and that sort of thing. But, but Pam's perspective is, is, uh, is her own perspective as well. And I just thought it was very important. So I, again, I, I hope that you are able to listen and, uh, and take on a new set of lenses throughout this conversation and, uh, and that you are both challenged and motivated by it. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode. Um, I am, I'm really excited to be uh, speaking with Pam Johnson today. And, uh, and hearing her story and, and giving her a chance to, to share her story with all of you. Um, Pam is an African-American woman um, who is extremely passionate about equality and awareness of inequality um, in our school system. Um, and that's where she's working right now. So you're, you're working in an alternative last chance high school. Yep. And you're in the Seattle area, correct? Correct. Yeah, I'm in Seattle. Yeah. And we've, this is the first time we met. I mean, like literally two minutes ago, this is the first time we, we've met, but I've heard a lot about you because Ursula, who I interviewed, well, I'm going to think a couple episodes ago. I haven't, we haven't, I haven't launched it yet or released it yet. Um, but, uh, you're, you and Ursula are sisters and, and that's how I heard about you. She yeah. introduced us in this way. I was excited so. to hear about your podcast and what you're doing with it. And she told me, well, she was like, I told him you would be perfect. <laughs> she did say that many times. So, <laughs> um, so I, I would just love to hear a little bit about you for the first time, along with everybody else. Um, and you know, who you are, how you got where you are today, what you're passionate about, you know, and, uh, and we'll just go from there. That sounds good. Yeah, perfect. Right on. Like I said, I work at uh, alternative high school now in Seattle with a lot of, um, street involved youth, a lot of the youth coming from jail or kicked out of traditional high schools by way of a lot of, of the inequities that are there. Um, mm. Growing up, my parents moved us from California to North Bend, Washington. I don't know if you know where that is. It is very white, very racist when I was there. I mean, I think 
in my high school, there was four black kids. And oh, wow. Yeah. So that experience, my whole schooling experience there kind of paved the way for where I went with my career, I guess. Um, mm. Just I had, I had white teachers telling me that black people should still be slaves. I mean, I had crazy school experience. Wait, like, like you actually had that experience what? in your classroom? Teaching history. She, she's definitely a racist mm. lady, mm. but she didn't like, and I'm not one to sit back and not challenge things. And she couldn't stand that about me. And so mm. she, in class, I made her so mad challenging what she was teaching about, I think Christopher Columbus and how wrong that story was. Mm. She was like, this is why it's hard for them. She, I think she said something along the lines. This is why they didn't want black people educated and black people should still be slaves. I was like, wow. Oh, she didn't get fired. Okay. Not to get like totally sidetracked here, but yeah, she didn't get fired. Nope. I mean, you, you obviously brought it up. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and I brought it up. Nothing. I got in trouble for being not arguing with, but for challenging the teacher as much as I was in class. Hmm. Cause hmm. I was the aggressive one. Okay. Okay. Also the whole followed me my whole schooling career. I, anytime something, if I challenged anything, I was the aggressive one. So but yeah, she didn't get fired. North Bend was right. crazy. Dealt with a lot in that place and that school system itself. So, I mean, I would pull up to school and the trucks would have Confederate flags. And I was like, I really have to see this every day. Like, this is fine with you. Hmm. But yeah, so I went to college and after that I worked in the jail system for a while, but I couldn't stand that I couldn't really do much changing in there. So I went to the next place I could think of the school district where I could actually be involved in kids' lives outside of a facility. So you say that you, you left that because you couldn't do much changing there. So, so in the course of, of high school and college and, and coming up against the ongoing systemic racism and overt racism that you were you were coming up against that. I mean, that stirred something up in you. I mean, where you were like, you, you weren't just going to move on with your life. This had to be addressed. Right. And especially I always have been that person to call somebody out or speak up against something, but especially having, I have two daughters now. Um, so I really want things to change for them. Mm. Yeah. See, I, I've grown up in the in the PNW most of my life, and so I spent a good amount of time in Idaho and Oregon, and and then you know in Linwood, Washington, which is you know <laughs> just north of Seattle right. there. Um, and I grew up with I grew up being told that racism was on its way out that there, there weren't that many racist people left. It That's is. my favorite thing when white people say like, oh, racism is dying. I'm like, how would you know? What are your experiences with racism? Yeah. That, that always uh, blows my mind. Like, do you really notice I'm it? genuinely shocked what you just said, though, about a, a teacher saying that to you. Like, to you. Oh. like that's how... That's how much that idea that racism is dying, you know, that it doesn't really exist anymore. That's how deep it goes in. Even still today, when I'm actively trying to understand another side of things, I, I still can't get over being shocked to hear a story like that. Right. That's I. Um, that's what I push up against with our teachers so much now, too. Like, I... I feel like it's irresponsible at this point in time, especially with everything going on and the thing we see in the news every day hmm. that there could still be shock. I'm like, I'm blown away at how you're still shocked that these things are happening instead of trying to see or accept the stories that right. you can't, you're trying to ignore. Like that's what blows my mind. I don't understand how you're still shocked. Like some of my teachers who I know are genuinely trying and seek that knowledge they're still like oh my god i can't believe that happened and i'm like how are you shocked by this hmm. like that's what blows my mind but especially now like, this world hate is so ignited by that idiot in office that yeah it's crazy okay okay like i said took us on a rabbit trail there you know for my own doing i'm sorry I'll be, let's let's continue <laughs> yeah 
So yeah, I just work at the school district now, really I'm on all the racial equity teams. And I really just try to push back on our district, which I find is extremely hard. Everything is we need to check with HR. And I mean, every time my principal says that, I'm always like, if you're checking for something that's going to protect white people in this situation, you don't waste your time. It's there. Okay. What are, this is my ignorance here. What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> when you, I push- when you talk about racial equity, to, you know, uh, when you talk about, you know, if you're going to, if you're pushing back and because you're trying to find a way to protect white, I mean, like, what are you talking about? What, what does that mean? So like one of the biggest examples I could give you is our racial equity team. So my school is set up a little different. We have about 15 different sites throughout Seattle and all each site either has four or five teachers. Majority of the teachers are white. Majority of our students are not. Um, so just tracking the movement of students that get sent out of different sites and even come from the traditional school to us. I was like, we need to start tracking the teachers that are sending them out and figure out why this person always is sending out certain black students or African students. And so I said, we need to come up with a survey. Like, you know, in our, our meeting, it was like, yeah, that's a great idea. And I was like, well, if we want to know what the problem is, ask the students. Like when I was a student, I didn't lie about it. So mm. our students are very honest and don't have time to waste. Like they're trying to stay alive. They're not worried about lying about the teacher. So I said, let's come up with a survey. We'll give it to all the students and it will show at this site. Here is the problem. The teacher says my name wrong all the time. The teacher calls me somebody else. Like all of the little microaggressions that are dealt with, including the big stuff. You're like, oh, no, we can't do that. Because if there's one site that only has one white teacher, then they'll feel bad. And I was like, so you're telling me we can't ask how this white teacher is making our black students feel bad every day because they might actually feel bad because of the answer. So that was like the whole thing, have to look up HR. And I was like, just, it's all to protect somebody's feelings. Is, is that the, I mean, is that really what, what white fragility boils down to? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Until I find it hilarious. And I even told one of my um, coworkers, I said, I'm sorry, when you, until you're done valuing the protection of somebody's feelings over racism that's happening in our school, like we have nothing to talk about. Hmm. Like you're more concerned about somebody feeling like they were targeted and disrespected by trying to help them grow than you are about the microaggressions that we experience every single day. What, what are we, what are we, why are you even out of this district? Go teach in Bellevue. So can, can I just ask you some more about microaggressions? Because um, it's a, it's a term that I hear regularly. And, and what I end up doing is I come up with a list of what microaggressions might be in my mind. I, I think that's, probably the wrong place to start. And so um, like you just said a couple of things and I'm like, wait, that I don't understand how that's a microaggression of where, you know, they might be saying their name wrong or calling them someone else. You're saying that's, that's an intentional, aggressive microaggression kind of action. It may not be an intentional aggressive one, but it's a definitely a bias where if, especially if you're a teacher and you've been at this site for so long, like the fact that you can't take the time to actually learn the student's name or even recognize that that you, that's not even the student you just call. It happens so much. I mean, it happens to me, like even with my coworkers, I'll go somewhere and they'll be like, Oh, Tracy. I'm like, no, it's the other black girl. Like we don't even look at it. Got it. So it's just not even taking that time to learn your student's name. Like you don't even have enough respect for that person to learn their name. Cause I don't, I don't hear them calling white kids wrong names. Okay. Or mistaking white kids for the other kid, another student. Yeah. Yeah. What are some other examples of microaggressions that are just a regular ongoing kind of thing? There's so many. I mean, I think not knowing a person, especially if you've worked with them, calling wrong names. A lot of them I see with our students is we have a lot of African students and we have a lot of African-American students and not even recognizing that there's a difference in that Um, touching of the hair, asking, I get asked all the time what I'm mixed with. I'm like, 
you just assume that I'm mixed. Oh, you look mixed because of your hair or this. And I'm like, do you realize how ignorant that statement is? Mm. So just a lot of little things like that. Or even the bigger, bigger but not bigger ones. If you get on the elevator and they're like, shy away or the stuff. I mean, now too. Okay. I think the last time when I was, when the world was open and I was sitting in Starbucks working, there was this older white couple sitting a table over and for 15 minutes, they were just staring. I was like, Oh my word. They are so bothered by my presence in this Starbucks. It's crazy. Like going about your business, but they continue just looking and glaring, get out. Hmm. Yeah. It's so, I mean, it, it sounds like any way that I would engage with you that I wouldn't engage with a white woman. Mm-hmm. A lot of the I mean, two, that- even the ones that were, ex- I know a lot of people that don't think that's appropriating, but when like, if you, when I've seen coaches and teachers do this all the time, I say hi to the white kid, but then I see the black kid and I'm like, Oh, what's up? And I try to like do this handshake with them. And I'm like, just say hi. Like just okay. do you the same as you yeah. would. So stuff like that. That's probably the thing that you're overcompensating. Most. Yeah. It's like the yeah. keen and pale or whatever their name is. Comic strip. <laughs> right. 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 Hmm. Yeah. Um, when, when you look at the, like at the, the amount of time that, that you've been there and that, you know, and you've gone through, you know, like you said, your own high school to college to working in a prison and now working in the, the school system. Are, are you seeing things honestly changing for the worse or are you, or is anything becoming more progressive? Cause I mean, I think of Seattle as this highly liberal progressive place. I mean, that's, you know, I think Seattle's like a fake liberal place. Like Seattle, a lot of people will say the right things, but when it's time to act or follow through, it's like, oh, but we don't want to ruffle any feathers or we don't, they shy away from it, but they'll say it big and loud. But if it actually came time to act, at least that's been my experience. We were just like, this is so, it's crazy to me. Like the okay. passive aggressiveness here and just the being so scared to take action on something, but they'll say it nice and loud. Um, but the district, do I really see stuff changing? I think... Not really, to be honest. Like we, the students that we get, I'm like, how? There's a student on one of my sites who cannot read, but his teachers have passed him along. I'm like, how are you serving students if you can't even tell that this kid can't read, but you're you're mm. fine pushing him out. Just get him out of my room. I don't want him in my class next year. We're gonna graduate. So even the falling short in that way, I think bothers me more because you're just setting them up for failure in a major way versus making them deal with your biases on a regular basis. I think that's the worst way that the district fails. And our student, our district constantly talks about changing. And I mean, even this year they came up with the black, black excellence for boys and they're trying to minimize the gap for boys and then being unapologetic, like they appropriated so much stuff in their attempt to try to change things. But I was like, you don't even realize what you're doing right now. Mm. And that the problem is you keep, you keep the systematic things in your, in your district that were built to keep that gap while trying to say you're changing. Mm. So how do you see this affecting your students on an ongoing basis. I mean, it's like, I, I mean, some, what I'm kind of hearing from you is that there's a, there's a lot of teachers just moving them on, just get them, get them through, you know, for, for whatever reason that might be, what do you, what are the long-term effects and what should be happening that would, that would actually make a difference in, in, I don't know if it's their quality of life or approach to life. I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think the, the huge gap is it, right? Like they, their education is suffering on a major level. Therefore, after they, if they graduate, because by the time a lot of them come to us, they're over it. Like they've been screwed over so many times by counselors and teachers and principals that then they get to us and they're so far behind. They're focused on a graduation year that is not going to be their graduation year. So it's a, you've destroyed some confidence. You've set up that perpetual, like, 
not all white people are racist, but when you get a black kid who goes through so much and they get to that stage and they're like, man, white people are going to, that's just what white people do. Like, I don't, I can't fight against it. So they get that defeat going. Um, but then the long term, right? Like quality of life. A lot of our students are, I think last year we had 11 students murdered. Oh God. Yeah. Just street, right? They go to the street because they can make quick money on the street. Then now they're gang involved. And all, so all the things that come with that. And I think that's the biggest downfall is when they just don't value a child. Like the inability to see a child as a child grows. And then it just starts that spiral. So with all of the, with all of the current events that are, that are going on right now and, and I, I don't really care to dive in any deeper than you want to dive into any kind of specifics about anything, but is this, are we just hearing about these more because they're, they're getting more media attention? I mean, right. That's, that's I, I'm looking at this going, what the hell happened that all of a sudden we have this spike? It's been You're going on. Head, there is no spike. No, that has been happening and it's never stopped. Like the, the lynching method just changed over to the police now. It's been happening. The problem is now everybody's filming it. And you can see it on social media a whole lot quicker and you hear about like even some of the things that you see on social media, you're like, oh my God, that just happened. And you look it up and it was actually three months ago. Or but it's been happening. Right. Um, I think it, yeah, the police, I, it's just crazy. It's And it's gonna continue to happen because they just put them on paid leave. And then they find some reason. I mean, you just think about all the people's, the women's house that they ran in and shot up in the most unnecessary way. I don't understand. Like, you do never need to shoot somebody that many times, shoot up a house that much because you think somebody's in there that you need to get or you need to arrest. So, and then you look at the videos of white people. Like I've seen plenty of videos with the cops facing white people who probably high on whatever with machetes and they, they take every extreme are every measure possible to not shoot them. Mm. But they're quick to kill a black person because they'll get away with it. Mm. How, I mean, <laughs> I think about, okay, so that you have, you have grown up in this system um, and you have, I don't even, this is going to, this is going to be an ignorant question because I, I don't know how else no to say it. I, you go it back into, to working in a prison to trying to make a difference and you, you find it doesn't work there. So then you, you go into the school system and you're working with these, these kids that aren't at risk. I mean, they're just, like you said, they, they feel like they're being screwed all over the place. Mm -hmm. Right. And so they're, they're in a, they're in a bad way by the time, even they get to you in high school. What is it about you that said, I have to fight this rather than just, um, than like some of, some of your kids who say the, the streets, the street is what's, is all that's left then. Mm -hmm. I mean, what is it about you that's, that's, that didn't go that same route or, or maybe you did. I, I'm totally assuming here now. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, no, I think definitely I was lucky. My parents have been married 50 plus years. So I, I came from a two parent household. I have three older siblings. I did have the one sibling who started to gear towards that way. And I was like, Oh, I don't think I want to go that route now. I, but I, at the same time, I've always pushed back against stuff, even when I was little. So yeah, that's always been in me. But I think the difference with me and a lot of what I see with my students is I have two parents. I had a very uh, strict father. I was terrified to do stupid stuff because of what my father, and I don't want, I didn't want that butt whooping. So I was yeah. very, I had that household and that foundation. And my dad, my dad has done a lot as far. I mean, he's, he's grew up in Gary, Indiana, and he grew up during the time where I don't think I would have been able to handle it, but so he's always been speaking those life lessons to me, even when I didn't want to hear it. And I think finally, when I grew up, it finally settled in. Is, are you 
like, are you are you fighting on behalf of these students, maybe even yourself? But are are you fighting for survival? Is that your mindset, or are you are you fighting because you deep down have hope that that this can change? Ooh. I think it's a little bit of both. I don't, I think my hope is diminishing a little more each day when I see craziness and, and I strategically see like I'm fearful of this upcoming election. I think they're definitely doing things the way they are to put that man back in place. Um, but I fight for my kids. I mean, I still, I fight for, it's for the survival of the students that I serve. And it's also to help my daughters thrive. Like I, I had to I had to have a conversation with my nine year old's teacher the other day. Like this whole situation just has changed the way school is. And she's on a Zoom meeting, like she has I think three or four Zoom meetings per class a day. She was eating lunch and I'm and her teacher's a white male. And I'm sitting there and I hear him say her name repeatedly. And I'm like, Good Lord, you have had my daughter's name in your mouth half the class and teach. Told her she can't eat in class. I was like did he just tell my daughter she can't eat in my own house? Take your blank, take your sweatshirt off. They called it. I was like, oh no. So I had to fire him off an email. I was like, I don't, I'm really confused. I don't think you understand in this times how flexible you need to be. But also you don't live in my household. If somebody doesn't live in my household, they're not telling me what to do. But especially the white man who is being ridiculous is not going to tell what me or my child, what goes on in my household. That's crazy. And I tried to tell him, I was like, I don't think you realize you serve a bunch of minority students. You need to think about that when you are commenting on certain people's stuff, because my daughter was wearing a sweatshirt. You told her to take it off. You don't know. Maybe I couldn't pay my heat bill. Mm. Like, you don't know what's going on in situations. So you need to stop trying to dictate and control. things. I was like, no, I didn't think about that. I was like, well, white people don't think about their whiteness. Like, that's it's your world. What are we talking about? Yeah. When you, um, uh, and again, this, this might touch into some personal stuff. Okay. So you're (laughs) you're free to, you're free to not answer or talk about this if you don't want to with, with you and your two daughters, what kind of world are you preparing them for? Like specifically and overtly, what are the, what are the lessons that you teach them about their world on a regular basis? I mean, with them on a reg- every morning, I say mantras with them to make sure that they know that they are beautiful black queens, that the, all of the things that they need to value about themselves, because every day on TV, commercials, social media, we're told otherwise in some subliminal way or not. Um, so I do do mantras with them every morning um, to build that thick armor up so that when you go out into the world, and somebody tears it down little by little, it's not going to get to you as fast. Um, I do talk to them about white supremacy, what it looks like, the things that to be aware of, to not accept the microaggressions. I, thought, I mean, my oldest, when she was in kindergarten, had to deal with, I don't want to play with her, she's black. And so, I mean, we've I've been saying those lessons to them because I have my oldest is chocolate and my little one is like, Light, she's a little light, bright like me. So I teach them about colorism and I teach them, especially being young black females, how the adultification of that and what it looks like. Because my my oldest is almost as tall as me, but people approach her as if she is older than she is or more aggressive than she is because she's tall. So I teach them all of those things just to try to prepare them. But especially now, like with white supremacy and I mean, it's crazy. Like you, you saw a change in a lot of the racist community when that when he came, when he came into office. Like I was like, it's crazy how that just ignited. Like normally, you get looks, but the looks are longer and more mad now than they were before that. Is that a, is that an empowerment thing? Like they, whereas we were. Were we were we approaching a time where that was becoming less and less acceptable, and then and and now people feel empowered to to I think, express their yeah feelings or thoughts? 
I definitely think so. Like that just ignited. I mean, it was happening more covert. I think that just was the shift in it being okay for it to be over now. Mm. So it never went away. It just was, I think people now see and they're like, oh, okay, they, there's comfort in numbers, right? Like with your daughters, are what do black kids have to be aware of that white kids don't have to be aware of at their ages? Just out in the community just their very presence where they are who's around at all times like i walk around with my head on swivel and i teach them the same because it's which i don't think white kids have to worry about i don't think white kids have to worry about their teachers constantly trying to get them sent out of class or their white teachers constantly seeing them for being aggressive being argumentative when it's like or I'm just a child and I'm being curious and I'm asking a question because that's one thing I do tell my daughters I'm like people will tell you I don't care who it is teacher myself whoever is trying to teach you something take that but also learn something about it for yourself because there are so many different views on things like white teachers will teach that Christopher Columbus is this great man and I'm like or he was a murderer and he raped and pillaged like so like take sure. what you're being told, but also question it and learn for yourself. Like look up stuff for yourself because especially in the school district, they lie all the time. So knowing like some of your journey and how you um, were thought of as aggressive and all that, because you, you didn't, you didn't just take the standard answers. You push back on things, all that. Does it, does it put you in a position of wanting to protect your daughters from that experience a little bit, from some of the hardships that you face, or or do you teach them to press into it? Oh no, for I teach them to press into it. I for sure, I'm always going to be there. I and mean, I, I think last year, I had to go to my daughter's, my youngest school, to check to correct a situation and check um, her teacher for just the email that she sent when uh, she was getting little girl and her are having issues um white girl and her were having issues and the teacher and McKenna finally my youngest pushed her back and so we get this big email and saying oh well it started out because McKenna was in Anna's space and blah, blah, blah. and I was like I don't even think you understood what you just emailed me so let me break that down for you you said the issue started because my daughter was in Anna's space as if she doesn't have the right to occupy the same space as Anna so that's a problem for me so we had a meeting and I, I let McKenna talk about it. I was like, no, you explain to her how you were feeling. And she was like, oh, we're, we want the parent to talk. I was like, well, my child can advocate for herself. So I definitely teach them to advocate for themselves. And when, if there is issues at school, I go in support of them so that they can tell their teacher, no, you made me feel disrespected. I don't like X, Y, and Z. Whereas that's, it is hard to, it's funny to watch how hard that is for one of her, one of their white teachers to have to listen to that and actually validate the feelings that came along with their actions. Okay. Um, how do you, um, like what kind of conversations do you have around scary current events with your girls? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Just being real freaking honest, I'm definitely getting a gun. So I've been having conversations with them about gun safety and, you know, just that aspect. Um, but also just being really aware of their situations. I don't really, can't really go anywhere now, but I don't really like to take them with me to the store anymore now just because of Corona. But yeah. when we are out, I'm very much like, I need you in front of me. I need to see you at all times because I don't, I don't want to be in a store and some crazy racist comes in there and I have to look around for you. Like I'm not trying to create fear, but I do show them what's going on so that they can know. Like, I don't want you to be fearful, but I want you to be aware. There's a difference. And if you're aware, you're going to be way more safe than if you're just living in fear. But that's a part of like, that's a part of your everyday life. That was pre all of this stuff. Oh, yeah. That was uh, especially growing up in North Bend. Yeah. I was in North Bend. I, I think I was in middle school and I was riding my bike down the street and this big old, got a huge bike lane. 
and I got ran off the road by a big old truck. I don't remember. He didn't hit me, but I think I knocked myself out on the curb because there was a house development being built, and I woke up in some construction dude's arm. He was like, okay, we got to call your parents or call 911. But there were so many times in North Bend where white supremacists would come up talk about you people and you people. And I was like, this is wild. Like, do you even know why you hate us so much? Or did somebody tell you it? And you've just been too stupid to realize that you haven't thought for yourself a day in your life. Hmm. I literally can't even imagine having those conversations with my girls. I can't even, I can't even imagine it. But it is one of those things of the conversations that it's, we need to have them, but white people need to have them. Like that's a, a huge part of the problem. White people, well, uh, for conversations I've had with a bunch of my coworkers and friends, white people don't talk to their white kids about race. Or they'll, I've heard so many times, I don't see color. And I'm like, oh my God, like that. Okay, so you do hate that phrase. I don't, un- if you don't see color, then you don't see me or, or have any recognition of my experience yeah. in this world. So yeah. that's racist in itself. Mm. You're telling me you're looking at a black person but you're, you're looking at them with, from the white experience, assuming that that's my experience. Hmm. Or just staying safe. That's a way to stay safe in your little bubble. Like, no, we don't see color. Hmm. But yeah, that's, I think, a huge part of the problem is talking to all kids about it. So um, uh, a couple of, of questions that, that I like to ask um, is... Um, the, the first one is, um, what is the one thing that those with my lenses, um, we talk a lot about how we see the world here, right? So my lenses and particularly I'm a, I'm a white male, um, have done that have made life more difficult for you. I think especially just coming with work and even my schooling, not even recognizing that systematic racism are is in place like to admit and acknowledge that things were put into place strategically to benefit white people or strategically to keep black people separated but just to even acknowledge that that is what has happened that it is very strategic that on the news they show the most heinous like if something happens with a black person they're going to show the most violent acts or his worst picture. But if it's a white person, they're going to show a picture of him and his family. Like they don't to not even recognize or realize that there are strategic things done to keep playing that perpetrator role versus, Oh, this guy, it happened. I mean, even think about all the shootings, mass shootings. I'm like, right. Majority of them are white males, but we show like, Oh, he was bullied or, he grew up in such horrible way, like to not even see that the difference in the tone of the same story and why they do that blows my mind. And I think that just con- contributes to why it continues because it's white men who are in power. Hmm. What is the, what's the one thing that you wish that, that those with my lenses would just like understand, like at a, at a fundamental level that we would just, we ju- we're just not getting it. What is it that we're not getting? I think the biggest thing that white people and white men don't get is how much slavery really still plays a role in black experience in America and how much that really did set back a whole race all based off of hate. I think that's one of the biggest things that I'm like, how do you not see that? Like, we started a race 400 years later than you. And we're still fighting a race. But now it's just, you can't blatantly say, we don't want blacks in here, but we can do things to kind of make it harder for them. I mean, even look at the new Jim Crow in prison. Can, can you talk about that just for a second? I, I'm, una, I, I'm unaware. Yeah, so prison systems, right? We all know it's funneling in black people, especially prisons, private prisons where they get paid for inmates and they make money. The inmates in there making, and majority of inmates are African or minorities. But when you come out of prison, you're supposed to get a job, find housing, do all of these check marks to stay out of jail, but you can't get benefits because you're a felon. You can't get housing because you're a felon. 
finding a job without having to check that felon box. So there's just new ways that they put um, barriers on a certain population. Like that's not coincidental. Mm. It's just a new way. It's the new Jim Crow. Which just keeps them cycling back into the system over and over again. How can those with my lenses be appropriate allies and advocates for you? And I, and I stress appropriate because I am learning about white saviorism right now too. And how, you know, I start, I start noticing things happening and my chest puffs up and I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to do something for this and I'm going to go fix it. And I'm going to go save you. (laughs) Right. I'm going to go rescue you. Yeah, that that happens a lot in my school with the white savior complex. Oh, well, they just, the coddling and babying them. I'm like, that's not going to happen outside of these four walls. So please stop doing that now. Mm. This is not helping them grow in a situation and learn how to remove themselves or get over a barrier. Um, I think being a good ally is that like you're learning about it. You're recognizing the, your ability to recognize the difference of actually being an ally versus trying to run and save a situation. I think one of the biggest things I can think of is when white people call white people for stuff. Like I, we're doing the brown tax enough. I feel like when people ask me stuff about things that they can find out themselves, educating themselves to be able to realize like, oh, this is why microaggressions are not. People think, oh, microaggressions, it's whatever. But it's, I think I saw a picture of some, I can't remember where I saw it, but the picture of somebody that had like thousands of paper cuts it was like these are this is the experience of micro of one day full of microaggressions. Mm-hmm. Like you get to that totality of circumstance where that last one, and you're just like you blow up, and now you're the you're the aggressive African American group. And it's like no, I've been dealing with this all damn day. So, I think that's probably one of the biggest things is that you're learning, you're asking questions. You're trying to wreck you, right? You're starting to recognize the difference between things that really do shift you from being a good ally to just trying to be the good white person that saved me. So how can we, what, what is the appropriate way for us to, to advocate then? Um, what are we not doing that we, that we should be doing then? I mean, I think one of the things that I don't, I've had one, one coworker ask, like, first of all, am I being a good ally? But what, what can I do in a situation? Like, how can I help versus trying to figure it out on your own? Because I'm, I think that's a very important, like, how can I help? What, what can I do to help this situation? Do I need to go to have a conversation with our coworker about X, Y, and Z, or how can I help push whatever agenda you're trying to get? Because Right. We realize like white people will listen. Well, white principals are going to listen to white teachers a little more than they're going to listen to me. So I have, you know, a lot of that just asking the question, how can I help? What can I do? Does that perpetuate the system? So, or. Yeah. But I think until the system is completely broke down, it's, it's one of those things where you like, I could not do it or I could try and see if the white teacher can get through the white principal because automatically if I come to talk to a white person about race, they're like, oh shit, I'm a little nervous because I don't want to say anything wrong or I'm going to say whatever I think she wants to hear. And it's not, there's no, we're not moving anywhere. Got it. Like I would rather you say ignorant crap to me while we're trying to figure something out than you tell me what you think I want to hear with no intention of doing anything. About it. Got it. Because it's one of those things like this has been years and years. Like every white person has grown up watching the same things on TVs. Like it's not like, yes, there are those that wake up wanting to live that very overtly racist way. But more than that, I would rather take the white person that I know hates me because I'm black, calling me a nigger, all that. I would rather have that than all the behind the scenes ones who have all these bias and have all these racism, racist notions that, but act like they don't. Cause I'm much better when I know where I stand with you than when you act like I stand somewhere, but then it's not the case. I had a uh, um, a tattoo artist one time who was talking to me about he's he has people that come in all the time and they ask for a, a boyfriend or girlfriend's name to be tattooed on him or whatever and he's like that's a line I don't cross he's like I I won't do that I won't tattoo somebody because you just don't ever know what's gonna happen 
But I get some crazy guy in here who wants a big swastika right in the middle of his forehead. He goes, I will do that for free because people should see you coming. Exactly. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it, it would it would be a lot easier if it if it were that no pun intended, if it were that black and white. Right. I mean, if it if it really were just that clear cut. Um but it's it's not. I mean that's I that's the thing that I, I keep running up against is I the more aware that I become, the more I I recognize really what it is, is it's it's like little adrenaline surges in me. So I, I'll walk into a situation or whatever, into a store or a place or, you know, I'll see somebody or something and I'll have a little adrenaline surge and I'll be like, that was it, wasn't it? That That was my inherent systemic racism that I don't want to acknowledge was there, but I just felt it. What else do you call it, you know? Um, or... I'll be having a conversation with somebody that I've known for a long time and, and they'll just kind of just say something flippantly and I'll be like, they've been talking that way as long as I've known them and I've never heard that in that way before, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I, and it's this, it's like this slow dawning and it, it's gotta be maddening for you. Right. It's gotta be maddening for you how blind. Yeah, it's, so many of us are. Yeah, it's unbelievable. But it's one of those things where I, I did a book group with, I think, nine teachers from my school with white fragility. And um, I laughed because one of them really, like, he spent half the time pushing so hard back against the word white supremacist. I just, I just don't like that word. And I was like, why? It's just, it makes me uncomfortable. I don't like that word. And can we figure out another word? I was like, no because it's white supremacy. That's literally the system you're working in. And he's I don't like that. It's so funny that you were fighting back against a word so cold, but we don't like the actions of it. We don't like the outcomes, but you're stuck on somebody saying white supremacy. Oh, I just, I'm like, I'm not racist. I was like, and he's like, well, I think he tried to argue his point. He's not racist. I said, nobody's calling you racist. That you, you have racism in you, 100%. I mean, even the fact that you're fighting against a word shows me that but I'm not calling you a racist, but you're a white man who grew up in white America. You have racism in your blood. It's in your DNA. It comes out your mouth every day. You just don't know. Oh, oh, well, black people could be racist too. So no, we can't. What? <laughs> like we can't. Black people don't have, what systems have black people put in a place that have been strategically holding white people down? I'll wait. Mm. So yeah, it's, funny just how the word okay. itself nobody has ever explained it to me like that ever ever before i mean that's that is what racism is mm -hmm. isn't it it's the systems and it's being a part of those systems right and that's why it's like no we can't be we can have prejudice we can have bias we can't we're not racist we can't be racist we can't we've Prejudice, bigotry, bias, those kinds of things. But racism is a, it's a different. Yeah. It's the whole mm. systems that are set up. Wow. Have you read White Fragility? I have not. No. Great book. I mean, I read I'm it and I was laughing the whole time like, oh, yeah, that's what they named it. Oh, yeah, that's what that's called. You know, I'm, I, I, I am coming to this so late in the game in my life. And, um, and part of it is because I'm I'm coming to like so many awakenings of so many things. I mean, there's I I'm a white middle aged cisgendered heterosexual you know middle aged middle class American born in the PNW man. I got a whole bunch of shit I got to do <laughs> right that I'm just like that that I'm just blind to because it's like we it's it's like we've just been like these. These, these herds of people just kind of moving through and 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 just kind of destroying everything in our wake just because we, this is the direction we want to go and this is what we want to do and and no thought to um, to the effects no no thought to environment no thought to other people involved no thought to 
um, our own relationships for crying out loud. I mean, the, the people living in our, our homes, our wives and our daughters, you know, and um, so on and so forth, right? It's just, um, and and there's all of this that it that it's uh, again in this in this concept of this of this podcast of realizing that these are these are literally just the the goggles that have been welded in place that I had no idea. I just thought this is the way the world looks. Right. I have no idea that it doesn't actually look like this. That it looks like something else. But this is the only way I've ever seen it. And so um, so I refer to things as if they are fact, when in reality, it's just my distorted impression of it. Um, and then the really the truly devastating part of it for me, it, not that I'm trying to get your sympathy for crying <laughs> out loud, but I mean, I'm just, the, the devastating part for me is to realize too that I'm never going to be able to see the world without that lens. It will always be distorted for me. Right. Always. Yeah. Um, and so there's, there's this work that I'm trying to awaken people to, to at least be able to take on new sets of lenses. It, it, you know, my, my conversation here with you today, you know, hearing about how you go to the grocery store with your daughters that's a new set of lenses for me. I, I don't experience that. Um, I, I've never experienced that before in my life. But to say, wait a second, there's, there, there's, a, there's a different reality being lived out over here that I have, that I have participated in, um, even if it's just been by ignorance, even if it's just been by inaction. I've still participated in it by allowing it to exist. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why I'm, I, I really am. I'm just so grateful that you would take time to talk to me. No, I appreciate your podcast. It's like, there's taking the steps to be an anti-racist, right? Like you're yeah. not actively being racist, but you're taking the steps to be an anti-racist. You're taking the steps to open people's eyes, to fight it back against systems and to fight back against the, just like you said, the ignorance or just not even realizing that the white experience is just that. It's just here. It's a very blessed, privileged experience. I would love to go a day without going outside, without worrying about something. I would like to drive down the street and not start sweating when a cop's behind me. Like, mm. you know, all those things that you're just like, oh God. So yeah, it is that. But I think what you're doing is huge. Well, thanks. It's, uh, you know, fingers crossed and hope and all that, that at least that, that people wake up a little bit that my specifically that my, my white brothers wake up. Um, cause it's God, it's so, it's so past time. Right. I mean, yeah. it just is. It's crazy. And I don't know how people yeah. can actively ignore it. That's yeah. I think, the biggest thing that blows my mind. You see it, yeah. but you're actively choosing to ignore it, or you're choosing to put the like, oh, pretend you're... like it's not real. Yeah, pretend I'm... like it's something else than what it blatantly is. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. All of that, even the cops are all the Karens in the world. Right, right. Like, mm. yeah, that's that's the other aspect of it. Like. I don't feel like dealing with some white lady calling the cops on me for no reason. <laughs> yeah. Well, Pam, thank you so much. Um, seriously, thank you. I appreciate your your time. I appreciate your your perspective and um, and yeah, I I go back and I when I edit these and I, I listen to them all the way through again. And it's and then it's really like I'm just listening rather than you know trying to whatever you know it, to engage and all that kind of stuff. And it's a I there's always new things that that come out but um again i just i i appreciate you doing something that is not your responsibility to do and that's talk to a white guy like me to help me try to understand things a little better i appreciate you doing the work <laughs> all right you know i think after 
going back over this conversation uh, a few times now as I've been doing editing and putting the whole episode together, the, the thing that stands out to me the most is just how much work there is left to be done on this, um, this issue of race in America. Um, something that, uh, that I was raised to believe was largely over with the end of slavery, <laughs> only to realize later that the end of slavery was actually this drawn out thing that, um, that in, in some ways the effects of just haven't even ended yet today. Um, and in living as a, a white person in the world with, uh, with these sets of privileges that I just never understood. And of course it didn't understand them. I, I, again, we could, we could beat the shit out of ourselves because we, we haven't understood these things. We haven't seen these things, or we can just deal with it and say, yeah, we were, we were raised in certain kinds of cons in certain kinds of contexts with, uh, within certain kinds of religious systems, within certain kinds of education systems, within certain kinds of governmental systems that promote blindness, that, that, that keep us from, from seeing the world as it is, uh, because there is an agenda at work. There is an agenda at work to make sure that we stay on top. That, uh, that we are at the top of the world in the economy. We are at the top of the world in our uh, military might. We are at the top of the world in education and thought process and all of those kinds of things. And, and when, you, when you have an agenda to maintain being the top like that, then that agenda means that you have to keep certain facades alive. You have to keep them robust. You have to shore them up. And so in doing that, there is a specific message that has to be communicated over and over and over again. And this is the primary issue with, uh, with systemic racism uh, in America today is that it, it's not so much that we that we are praising it, that we're saying it's a good thing and it should be like it was back in the, you know, in the in the 40s and 50s and 60s and you know like that. It, it's that we're trying to deny that it exists even. And when you deny that it exists, well, then you don't have anything to address. When you deny that it exists, you don't have anything to make reparations for. When you deny that it exists, then you get to say, that was them, it's not us, and so there's nothing more we can do about it, and you just get to keep moving on in the same systems over and over again. This has been a huge fucking wake-up call for me. I'm gonna keep having these conversations because it's these conversations that open our eyes to these things. Um, I'm going to expand that. I'm going to keep doing the other work too. I'm going to keep reading. I'm going to keep listening to the leaders of marginalized communities who are talking about their plight, who are talking about these are the things that, that hold them back even from getting to the starting line. This is the work that we as white people have to do. This is the work that we as specifically white males have to do. Um, and if we expand the marginalized communities to all marginalized communities, then we're not just talking about people of color any longer, but we're talking about the LGBTQ community. We're talking about those living with disabilities. We're talking about the poor and so on. We must learn to begin taking inventory of our lenses and understanding how our lenses cause us to see a skewed world in our favor. And then we must be willing, and I'm even gonna say it, we must be brave enough to say, I, I need to be able to 
learn to see through others' lenses so I can get a fuller, more rich picture of this great world and this great country that we live in. I hope that these conversations are sparking that within you. I, I hope that that is the outcome of this entire podcast. I hope that you will join me. Thank you for listening.